Howdy, and welcome to the show. Cooper's Code examines a legal issue and hits the highlights so we all achieve the best results for our clients. I'm Miles Cooper, and with today's guest, Carol Okolowitz, we'll be discussing setting expectations with clients, working with them to keep them happy, and discussing how to help them understand the risks as they set down the path towards trial versus settlement. Before we get into today's topic, a few words about Cooper's LLP. We at Cooper's are committed to thought leadership, developing the best talent, and honing skills through learning, practice, trial, and the relentless pursuit of justice for consumers. With lawyers licensed in California, Oregon, and Washington, we're available for free strategic consultation on cases, and we accept referrals and trial co-counsel opportunities. For more information, visit the website at coopers.law or email us at podcast at coopers.law. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks, Miles. Before we get into today's topic, in order for people to understand a little bit about who they're hearing from, do you mind giving us a little bit of your legal background? I'd love to. I started working in the legal industry in 2001 as a file clerk. I progressed up to paralegal in 2009. In 2014, I went to law school and I've been practicing for about five years. And all of my experience except for two years, has been on the plaintiff side. So people who are listening get the benefit of somebody who's seen the defense side, the plaintiff side, the attorney side, the paralegal side, and staffing in between. That's right. Part of the reason I think that's relevant is because you've seen clients both from the paralegal perspective and from the attorney perspective, and that can, do you find that that can sometimes vary? Oh, yeah, definitely. As a paralegal, I had a lot of daily, regular contact with the client. Clients would call wondering what's going on, and I would be the point of contact a lot of the time. And then as an attorney, you know, I'm seeing things from a a much different angle in terms of their case and what actually is going on in their case. So yeah, differing perspectives. So the direction we're going today is helping to set client expectations kind of at the outset and also working with clients when their expectations may differ from what the likely outcome of the case is. And in that regard, do you have any thoughts about starting that conversation early with clients to help them understand how the case proceeds and and where their particular case may be going? It's definitely a good idea to have that conversation early. When a client first calls, the client a lot of times might see what we do as attorneys as a service, and it is, but it's not the type of service where you just pay something and get a standard outcome. So a lot of times a client will want to know, well, how much is my case worth? Or can I prevail in this case? And as attorneys, it's very hard for us to give an answer. And in fact, I would say that you should never give an answer to a question like that. So I think early on, it's a good idea to set a general client expectation that we don't know how the case is going to proceed. We could find information that really lowers the value of a case. We could find information that damages the case. And we can't predict at the outset whether or not we're going to get any information like that. So in a sense, things are unpredictable and we can't guarantee any certain outcome. I think it's a good idea to have an early conversation with a client about what we see right now, but to let a client know that things could change and we'll proceed through the case with their best interest in mind 
without being able to actually predict the future. I find your comment about the what is my case worth question interesting. And and the reason I, I say that is on occasion, one will end up on the phone with somebody who says, well, I, I talked to another lawyer and this other lawyer has told me that my case is worth a million dollars. How do you address that in a conversation and how do you handle the what is my case worth question? Because most people, when they ask a question, they want an answer. Definitely. I've definitely had that scenario that you just brought up where a client says, I talked to another attorney and they told me my case was worth a million dollars. So I like to talk to them about how I determine the rough value of a case. Rough because we don't know what is going to happen in a case. I like to educate them on the parts of the case that I use to determine what a case is worth. Okay, so I want to first look at is the other side, the people or companies that we're going to sue, are they liable? How solid is the evidence that we have right now that, for example, the driver did something wrong? And this can get really complicated in terms of who it is we're suing and how easy it will be to find that person or entity. And then when you're talking about a dollar figure, we definitely always are looking at the damages amount. So if a client calls up and we do personal injury at Cooper's and did not go to the doctor after the accident that they're calling about. I had somebody call up many, many years ago. I don't remember the circumstance, but I think he had a, a cut on his pinky and it was not a deep cut. Put a Band-Aid on it and it was healed in a week and didn't go to the doctor. I talked to the client about the damages aspect. If we were to compensate you for your loss, what would that number be? That's something that we're looking at in every case. And so I do talk to a client about that we do look at an amount of money that would compensate them for their loss. And then a third category that I do like to educate the clients on is collectability. If a person who is experiencing homelessness injures you, it may be hard for us to determine a way to get money from that person. And all of those aspects go into our determination of the case. And then the client can see what, what we're doing. It doesn't mean that there still is no solid answer. It's the tools that we use and the client can also use to determine what's going on with their case. What I'm hearing is you educate on that tripod, liability, damages, collectability, and those are some of the tools that you use to evaluate where a case may be headed in terms of value. Right, right. And I like that you use the term where a case may be headed, because once again, there are no guarantees. We would love to guarantee, but we simply can't. I've always wondered about the people who call and say that another lawyer has told them a number on the case because I don't know of any lawyers who are willing at the outset to give a number. Most of us are in that same kind of, well, we're evaluating it. We wouldn't be willing to take your case on unless we saw it as having value. It's too early in terms of your injuries to really be able to assess where you're going to be because you were recently injured and, you know, hopefully you make a great recovery. Your case is worth less, but you might not make a great recovery and your case is going to be worth more way too early. My takeaway and my suspicion 
is that there are lawyers who are willing to give information about how they've assessed the value. And they'll say, well, I'll give you an example. You know, you've got $450,000 in past medical expenses and insurance companies oftentimes will take that as a measure of their non-economic damages, pain and suffering damages. And so it's entirely possible that a case like yours could be in the million dollar range. My suspicion is the person who calls up and says my case, another lawyer told me my case is worth a million dollars. That was the conversation that the lawyer had was 450 insurance companies. Well, we'll tack on another bit for non-economic damages. So million is a, the type of range where one might see on cases with that posture. They don't hear all the nuance and they hear my case is worth a million dollars, which is why I'm always very, very concerned when I get pressed on the, what is my case worth question? Definitely. You don't know what anybody else is actually telling this person. I don't know what a client trusts, but I always think it's important to be trustworthy in your relationship with your clients. And maybe somebody out there is saying your case is worth a million bucks. And if that is the situation and this other attorney gets significantly less or there is the numbers are a lot lower, I imagine the client would be unhappy. I certainly don't want that from my clients. We're talking about setting expectations and the commonality that I feel we learned growing up under promise over deliver. And the promises that one is making are we will turn over every stone to get the best possible result for you. We will do everything we can to get the best possible result for you. And remember, we're contingent fee lawyers. We have a vested interest in doing everything we can to get the best possible result for you. But we really won't know where this is going to land until later on in the case. Yeah. We talked about liability damages and collectability. And I do think about and educate a client throughout the case. And that is the venue that you are set in. I recently had a case in Sonoma County. And as far as I can tell, Sonoma juries can sometimes be tough for plaintiffs. And of course, I saw my client's argument. But as attorneys, we have to look at things from not just our own perspective and our client's perspective, but from a jury's perspective. And when we are venued in a county that is harsh for plaintiffs, and critical, looks critically at something that's going on in our particular case, we have to take that into account. And I think it is important to educate the clients about that as well. What I'm hearing so far is we start early in terms of setting expectations and helping the client understand the process. We educate, and that's things like venue, economic damages, the three legs of the tripod, liability damages, collectability. Do you also work in terms of keeping the client in the loop so they feel they're a part of the team? Definitely. That's part of our ethical duties to the client is to let them know any major developments in the case. I do like to just let the clients know, you know, um, we requested whatever and we're still waiting. So I'll let you know when we hear something or whatever it is, just so they know that we are involved and we're still working on their case. So they're kept in the loop. I think then our communications with them about case value developments and expectations, basically, I think then they're more trusting of what's going on because they see what we're doing on a regular basis. In that regard, and this goes back to some initial conversations, I find that setting the timeline 
which, you know, this can take two to four years sometimes, even without an appeal. And some of that is dictated by the turns that the case goes through. Some of it's dictated by trial delays. You know, during COVID, there were a lot of trial delays. And letting them know that during that process, there will be periods where we can push things. There will be periods where we don't have control over a trial date being set two years out. And there are periods where things may be quiet. It's not that things aren't happening on your case, but it's going to take a while. Yeah. I've definitely had clients who, when I said two to four years, they said, oh, really? For that long? It's a shocker. But again, good to educate early because as we know, as attorneys who have met anybody, you know, paralegals, attorneys, whatever, three years is pretty standard. Not a shocker to us. The other piece that more recently has come up and surprised me. My expectation when people have conversations with trial lawyers and firms that are preparing a case for trial is, ah, yes, if we don't settle a case, there will be a time where my case goes to a jury and that process will take a while. And what I've learned, and I think it, it more the one calls it the, uh, the CSI effect or law and order, is that there is this belief that we'll go to trial and we'll pick a jury and by the end of the day, we'll have a, an answer to my question. And so that's another educational piece of if we go to trial, there is going to be a time potentially where you're going to need to set aside this period while the jury decides your case. Especially for out-of-town clients, it's like you just have to stop what you're doing in your life. Sometimes scheduling a deposition for a client is hard. And again, educating early. You might have to sit for a deposition. It might be all day. That's pretty typical. So, you know, we'll let you know if something like that happened. The outer town piece, you're going to set me down a little side tangent rant on Master Calendar and the challenges that Master Calendar have. It's one thing for attorneys because that's our job. But when you've got an out of town client or a expert intensive case and you're told on a Monday that you're going to be trailing for two, three, four weeks and not know when the case is going to start, I feel that's a real challenge and a real disservice to the side, the plaintiff side in particular, but that's, that's my beef. Yeah. And you say two to three weeks. I've seen situations where the case gets assigned to a judge. So you think something's going to happen. And then the judge says, oh yeah, I'm booked for months. That's my side rant. And I recognize I'm not a presiding judge and nor have I been trying to shepherd a thousand backlogged cases through COVID-clogged courts. Have you had situations, Carol, where despite your best efforts of keeping a client educated and helping them understand the risks, benefits, that you've gotten to a point where there is, what is in essence a, a final take it or leave it settlement number, and the client says, you know, I deserve more than that. That's not enough. Have you had that experience? Well, yeah. Yes, definitely. How have you handled that? Again, Tried to educate them about what I'm seeing, which is the risks in the case. And it depends on if I agree with them. Sometimes I agree with them. You know, you're right. You do deserve more than that. It's a garbage offer. But I always fall back on educating the client. If the client's, again, expectations are out of whack. And I just want to say one thing. We are talking about educating the clients early, talking to them throughout the case, letting them know what we know about developments or whatever, but sometimes they just don't hear it. 
And so you can try, and there still are, my case is worth $2 million or whatever, and it may not be, you know? You just keep trying to let them know what you know. And I want to say something. I've been practicing for five years, so I'm definitely still new at this. I always have a fear that the client is right. And my assessment, my worry about the risk and the scary venue and the possibility of getting defensed or something like that, you know, everything I know about the case and the law and everything is just straight out wrong and they're right. And you just have to go with the information that you have and argue the best case for your client. And that's it. What you're seeing is something, you know. It's interesting as somebody who's known you for 22 years and worked with you off and on for a large portion of those, I would classify that as imposter syndrome. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. That a lot of us high achievers run into where there's a fear that we may not know all that we actually do know in certain respects. And in addition to that, there is that bit that this is an art. It's not a science. And cases can go a multitude of ways when you put it before a jury. And I know the fear I have when a client has greenlit the case to go to trial is that they get one chance. And you can tell them, well, you know, if we try this, you know, eight times out of 10, we're going to get a better number than what's being offered. But that's still two times where it could be less. I completely agree with you with that fear. And I don't always have the fear that I've gotten it wrong, but I I do have the fear that their desire to go to trial and run that risk, it really needs to be something where we feel that there is a substantial likelihood that we can do better than the number being offered. And I'll use an example from today. We're having a conversation. It's very clear in the case that we're talking with the client about today that if the defense is not willing to come up from their their current offer, we'll just call it 100, it's easy. We can likely do better in trial. And there are no liability issues in the case. We can likely do better in trial than that. If they came back at, we'll call it a million, it's easy. Take the number. Right. But it's the space in between where getting more educated is important. And I, I think that's a good point to get to the both formal and informal way of figuring out risks in cases. And I think of the woman that we trained with for a long time, name check Cynthia McGuinn. Yeah. That when she is in that pretrial mode, anyone within 500 feet of her is going to know about her case. If you're standing in the checkout line next to her, there is a reasonable chance that you're going to get a conversation about the case because she is looking for feedback and not feedback from another lawyer, but feedback from the general population to help her get some assessment. How do you incorporate or use tools like that or focus groups as part of your way of helping make sure that you're providing the right direction to a client? You know what it is? I run it by my parents. My mom is conservative, but solid blue and very moral and, you know, this is not right and whatever. And my dad is a lot more, oh, that company, whatever. So I do kind of try to check with them and give them the general parts of the case. And usually they'll tell me what my weak spots are. 
that seems really helpful. We talked in a previous episode how any case worth trying is worth focusing. And you can do it from a low-cost Craigslist to a full-boat, in-person, two-jury consultant case. But getting that feedback so that you really can give the client some proper risk assessment is helpful. And the additional piece is when you have a client who is gung-ho on trying a case which you know is not likely to go the way that they want it to, it then is additional information for them to be able to digest. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I haven't used it as much as you have, and I think it's really important and a great tool. When you reach the point of discussing risk, that settlement trial risk, what types of things do you talk about in terms of trial itself, costs, risks, time consequences? I definitely want to educate the client about the cost of trial. That is not something that a client thinks about. And what I want to talk to them about, because I I would say I don't typically tell the client where we are with costs throughout the case. I mean, if there's a settlement, if there's a mediation coming up, yes. If there's, you know, we're talking about trial, yes. But, you know, on a day-to-day basis or even monthly basis, I'm not talking to them about, oh, we've spent this much in the case. But if we are getting to the point of talking about trial or mediation or settlement, I want them to understand that there's costs that we've expended over the course of the case. And then there's the cost that we're going to have to spend at trial. And it's like shallow waves and then spiking into a tsunami. That's It's a lot more expensive. And I've told clients, I would like to get a big number for you. Our firm would really love to get a big number for you. But what I'm always looking at is what it costs to get that big number. And if it costs us a lot, and then I want to let them know, if we can get that a similar number for you now without spending that money, that puts more money in your pocket. What I want is for you to have more money in your pocket. And so I do let them know about that equation with, costs and fees and what experts cost and what just going to trial, what it costs. So they can, again, make the decision. I've found sometimes it comes down to showing them what the net with the settlement offer is now versus the net with a potential outcome at trial, building in that, look, any case worth trying, costs are probably going to be in the range of fifty dollars to $150,000, maybe more. So if you factor that piece in and we don't beat our 998, we don't beat that last offer number, then your net actually could be less than what is presently being offered. And sometimes seeing it and seeing how the calculations are done helps them understand. And the other piece that we talked about, the time cost of trial, but the other thing that I don't think clients recognize until they get closer is the stress that is associated with it. As much fun as the lawyers have getting the case pulled together, spending the days putting on the show in trial, each day that a trial lawyer is having fun is a client stressing about being on the stand, being cross-examined. What is this witness going to say? Oh my gosh, there was a bomb today. How do you address that with clients? One thing I talked to a client about once who was very insistent that she have her day in court. I said, when you're watching trials on TV, Most of the time, they're 
criminal trials. But let's talk about criminal trials. If that was you sitting in that chair, it wouldn't be as exciting and dramatic. It would be scary because the decision being made would be whether or not you were going to be going to jail. And similarly, it might be exciting and even vindicating on some level to be watching people up on a stand testifying in your case. But when you actually go through the process of a trial, and I'm saying this right now, I've never filed a lawsuit on my own behalf. I've never been a client of an attorney in a lawsuit, but it's frightening. I just imagine from talking to clients going through trials, it's your money and your life and everybody's all up in there examining your life, examining the decisions that you've made. 14 random people in the city where whatever, could not even be the city where you live, are looking into your life and making decisions about it. It could come out great, but could also come out not so great. That said, if you have a fantastic client and you have a fantastic case and the people on the other side are totally unreasonable, the conversation is a little bit different. It's still, this is a risk. These are the costs that, you know, we could incur, but we think this is a fantastic case. And surprisingly to me, whether it's the insurance company or the defense lawyers providing the advice to the insurance company or whoever the risk assessment team is, there are a large number of situations where they get it wrong, meaning they have undervalued the case and they, in essence, make the decision easy. They so undervalue it and they so insult the client with the offer number that you have no choice but to try it. And when you have a good client, you have a good case and you have a crappy offer, that makes it much less of a risk of turning down good money on the table. Going back to the client who Despite all the information, there's been some focus assessment, there's been feedback on valuation. Client still says, look, I understand that I may end up with less net in my pocket, but damn it, I'm going to go forward. Do you have any recommendations in terms of doing what lawyers might refer to as papering the file, in terms of writing a letter to the client, listing out all of the risks and having the client sign off on that? I think it's good to send a follow-up email after do an in-person meeting and then do a follow-up and say, we discussed this, that, and the other thing. I told you this. Can you confirm that that was our conversation? Get a confirmation. And then you know you've put it out there. You know, it's tough. It's interesting. I feel that as I've learned more going forward in terms of the discussion process and client assessment process, making sure that somebody has aligned interests, that reaching that point has been few and far between. I look back it's probably about 10 years ago, to a case where everyone was in agreement that the settlement offer should be taken and the client insisted on going to trial. And we tried the case and the net to the client was $5,000 more than what the offer would have been at mediation. And it took another two months. Two months, the costs, the stress. This was a client who did not deal with stress well. Uh-huh. And I certainly didn't do any sort of see, I told you so. I did feel like it was helpful to me in my educational process to get a sense of I'm starting to understand this. I'm starting to play the game right. Are there other things you think we should chat about in terms of working with 
clients to help set expectations, keep them educated, and help themselves to get the best possible outcome. My thought on this whole topic is it is tricky. On the one hand, you want to believe in a, in the case. That's the whole business. Otherwise, what are we doing? But then on the next level, you want the client to trust you and trust your assessment. And then on the next level down from that, it's threading the needle because you want a client to trust you and trust that you are on their side, but you have to be honest with them. And that means telling them some bad news sometimes. It's like being a good friend, you know? It's hard, and so you got to do it in a delicate way. We do a lot of bicycle cases, and depending on the situation, look, I don't know all of San Francisco and how everyone in San Francisco perceives bicyclists, but I know there's definitely a sentiment out there in the community that people on bikes take unnecessary risks. So I know that within a biking community, you might understand that, look at sometimes you have to take risks because it's actually the safer thing to do. But if a jury doesn't think so, then it makes it a little bit tougher. So that's just an educational thing. It's kind of like a, look, I don't agree with this, but I have to think about what a jury is going to say about that. So that goes into my assessment of case value, risks, all the rest. That's a good point. Well, I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate you covering this topic with us. Thanks for listening today. Please email us at podcast at coopers.law with questions, comments, feedback, and any suggestions you have on working with clients to help them stay educated on their case and reach the best possible outcome for themselves. Like what you heard? Share us with a colleague and leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. For all of you doing justice out there, happy hunting.